right. So um, I appreciate I appreciate everybody joining again, either in person or or on the cloud or on the uh, Zoom rather. Um, I'm excited about today's lesson. I I shared in the email uh, that I sent that uh, last night, rather late, that the Dobsons had quite a little last couple of days. Uh, the Memorial Day weekend started with uh, quite a bang early, I guess, on, on Thursday night. We started driving down and we got to McAllister, Oklahoma, uh, and stayed there, finished the drive on Friday to Austin, uh, went to pick up the truck and it wasn't, wasn't available. So there was kind of a moment of panic. Uh, because we'd driven all this way and had no truck to, to load stuff up in, uh, was able to obtain another uh, truck uh, and, and loaded it up in three or four hours or so, and then started back uh, spending the night, I think, in Waco and getting back uh, late-ish yesterday. So um, it's, been a, it's been a crazy few days, uh, to say the least. Uh, but I... Knowing that was coming or perceiving that we were probably going to do that, I, I prepared this lesson in advance. And sometimes there's real value in that um, because you can, I call it percolate on the message a little bit. And then there's other times where I feel like God tells me not to do that because it needs to be a little more maybe timely. Uh, and I don't think it necessarily surrounds my schedule, but sometimes it does. And I think God knew that we had this kind of commitment um, concept and, and we needed it to get things moving forward. So um, one of the things that I haven't done, and and I would say I'm not great at this, is the big picture of a book. So right now we're going through Second Peter, and you know, I've read through Second Peter multiple times, obviously studying and preparing for it, but not necessarily like laying out a master plan for the next whatever. And part of that's because of the situation we're in. Um, and part of it is I'm not, that's not necessarily one of my strengths. And so I, you know, bear with me, this lesson today absolutely dovetails with last week's lesson and the week before it's continuous, right? It's a continuous stream of thought, literally. In some cases it's an ongoing sentence, uh, but it's a long sentence. And so, um, you know, we have to kind of break scripture down in, in some bite-sized chunks for the purposes of these lessons. So today, um, if you had a chance to print it out um, at home, so to speak, or, or here, I, I have copies. We're, we're, we're talking about a diagnosis for those who lack. And, and if you look at um, specifically, um, you know, look at verse 9. Well, then we'll read it and then we'll pray. And, but he that lacketh these, thi lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the time. We thank you for the ability to get together. Um, certainly uh, don't take it for granted. And, and I don't just mean physically get together, uh, connecting in any way, shape, or form. And, and just a little bit that... Um, we've been able to do with a few folks and, and, uh, uh, you know, and some folks here, it's, it's, it's really, uh, renewed my spirit. And so I appreciate the, the value that you've placed on the local church and on the fellowship of believers. It's a real thing. And we thank you for it. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you bless the time, uh, both of teaching and of hearing, uh, Lord, I, I believe I'm teaching what you've, you've given to me, but again, Lord, I invite you, I, I, I actually beg you, 
to be involved in this process, uh, correct my thoughts and my words and the hearers. Uh, Lord, we want to be in line with your word and we want to be in line with uh, what you have for, for the plans and the purposes in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's interesting. I, I, I specifically want to kind of take this bite-sized verse, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath purged uh, I'm sorry, I had forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So last week, uh, we talked about, I'm going to try to draw again, we, we talked about the guy, the believer, that had some things that were given in to him from God, right? And because he had faith, then he could have the other things, and that's at the top of your sheet, which actually start in verse... Um, in verse uh, four, um, yeah, uh, uh, verse five, and, and besides this, give all diligence, add to your faith, and it was. Can somebody read them out? I don't. I don't have memorized. Virtue, virtue. I'll just abbreviate them. Knowledge, uh, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And charity. Okay, so these things. Have to be added, and we have a responsibility in this. We're, we're we're physically and spiritually invested in these things in our flesh. We need to add them to our spirit. We need to do them. There is a responsibility of the believer. the The work of Christ is finished. There's no doubt about that. But there, he, he specifically, Peter says, you have to add these things. I mean, these are not just. He didn't say you already had them. He said you need to give diligence. You need to work at adding these things. So, you know, the, the believer can, can, can get the, the exceeding precious promises, can get those things from the Lord, there's no doubt, and have, a, a, have a, a really good eternity. But if you want to be fruitful here, that we saw at the end of verse 7, or I'm sorry, the end of verse 8, if you don't want to be barren, and you don't want to be unfruitful, you need to add these things to your life so that you can function here on earth. And so I I, I, I picture that with a path, and I'm going to. The reason I'm drawing this today is I I think the path actually the fork in the road is really relevant to the continuation, right? We said that this was the barren uh, barren path, right? Um, which was also corrupt. I think that's in verse maybe verse four um, talks about that um, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So this is a barren or corrupt path. I don't know if you guys can see that or not. It might you might need to toggle the, the the view that you have so that I'm really big on your screen. But barren or corrupt, and then you have this fruitful path, and that's the path, of course, that we want to be on. And I realize Scripture doesn't specifically draw the, uh, or describe this as a path, but but I think it's helpful uh, for 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 the pictorial representation, because we have a diagnosis if we're lacking these things, right? But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Um, the three points are, and I'm just going to hit them, uh, you know, at a high, high point at this point, and we will get to a point where we have PowerPoint again. I, I'm a PowerPoint kind of fan. I think that helps us learn. But the first one is spiritual blindness. So that's your first blank is spiritual blindness. And then point Roman numeral two, we're going to skip the subpoints for just a second. Roman numeral two 
is spiritual nearsightedness. Spiritual nearsightedness. And then point three, and, and just near, I guess, is what goes in your blank, but point three is spiritual amnesia. And this is the diagnosis. Now, uh, I think it was a it was a uh, the spoof of a of a well known uh, record uh, producer who said he was quoted as saying, "I have a fever, and the only cure is more cowbell." In this case, we have a diagnosis, but cowbell will not help. Right? The only thing that will help us is investing in the things that we talked about last week. And we're not going to revisit those, but the virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And there is an order to them. He said to add them, right? And we use the illustration of making a cake. And without these components, we cannot be as fruitful as God would like us to be. So we have this diagnosis, spiritual blindness, spiritual nearsightedness, and spiritual amnesia. We're going to spend some time in each one. This first, um, it's a temporary condition. Much like physical blindness is temporary. And you say, wait a second, I know people that are blind permanently. Yes, but one day, if they're saved, they won't be. Um, but physical blindness is a temporary condition. There is no doubt about that. It can be cured both through salvation and you know, leaving behind the, the temporal body. And in some cases, it can just be cured or healed, at least. Jesus, uh, we're going to see some examples of that. And God, the first, um, first sub-bullet, God uses it to prove our condition and his plan, and i sorry for the typo, to improve it. His plan to improve it. Look over at John chapter 9. Uh, we're going to try to spend some time turning in scripture today. Uh, John chapter 9, in uh, the beginning of John chapter 9 verses 1 through 3, and Jesus passed by, uh, he saw a man, or as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that, that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So, literally, it is our, I, I have dealt with people you know, I, I dealt with a, a dear friend who lost a brother, and um, she was, I, I would say, under the impression that it was something that she had done that maybe caused him to die in a, in a motorcycle accident. Like, I mean, she didn't cut his brake lines. She didn't, you know, like, she thought that because of some of the spiritual decisions she made, like, God was judging her through her brother. And, and, and God just doesn't do that. But we have this tendency as people to think, well, whose whose fault is this? There's, there's, it's not the way it should be. So whose fault is it? And God says, or at least Jesus in this passage says, sometimes it's just so He can get glory. It's just so He can get glory. And and be careful when you share that because the lost person can attribute God as a sadist in that uh, in in that approach. If, if they don't have the reverence and they don't have the understanding, they can we can project that God gets pleasure by hurting us and then healing us. That's not how it works. That's not the intent. Okay. It, it does. I mean, God and in, in Christ in this, in this passage clearly has an eternal perspective and I don't get any pleasure 
disciplining my child, but I know the, the short pain, the short frustration or, or lack of playing a game, whatever that discipline is for that period of time, in the context of their life is, is an investment. And that's how Christ works it works through us. It, it can, it, God uses these situations to, pro- to prove our condition that we need him, and then he has a plan to improve it. Go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter 11. We actually see this doctrinally or dispensationally as a pattern as well in Romans chapter 11. Specifically, we're going to just look at verse 25. But, um, for I would not, brethren that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Like God is willing to blind a group of people for his purpose. And again, that's probably a whole LFBI course, let alone just a sub bullet here as, uh, on, on my point. So we don't have time to go deep into it doctrinally, but he is willing to cover. And I have heard stories, I've probably heard five to ten stories of God using blindness in the in, in either a person's life or in a person who was interacting with the person who told me this story. I don't remember who it was. I think it was a Medal of Honor recipient who was a Christian that was telling the story. I'm pretty sure it was the one that we had a chance to hear. Medal of Honor, Congressional Medal of Honor, obviously not a lot of those given out. Um, when he was telling the test, giving testimony of having fallen asleep on guard duty in Vietnam and woke up to enemy boot prints all around him. That they had been right there. And the only thing he can do is attribute to the fact that God blinded them to his presence. And um, those kinds of stories, I know God can use. I I personally experience blindness when I study Scripture. Say, well, wait a second. Or even when I'm preaching, sometimes God will refuse to allow me to go to a certain passage, or you know, will in essence interrupt. And he has the he has the right to do that. <laughs> you know, it's his message, hopefully. And I can't find a verse. I can't find a point in my notes, and I just have to move on. And I, I really do think he is maybe not blinding me, but not allowing me to see what I think needs to be said because he wants something else to be said or he doesn't want that to be said. I, I do think God uses blindness way more than, than we can ever perceive. I mean, how many times have you in your own life said, I just didn't see that person standing there or I didn't, whatever. I, I don't know if it's the way or the anatomy of our eyes or whatever, but God will use it to not just prove our condition of our, of our flesh, but his plan to improve it. And the second point is light is needed to see. You know, I, I was going to start down this path of doing the rods and cones. I don't know if you remember rods and cones when you were in maybe eighth grade-ish. You guys are doing it, right? right. Rods and cones in your eyes, right? The rods are the light, the ones that do light. The rods are the ones that see, uh, or see color, right? No? Cones are color, okay? And so the cones are real active in the daytime, right? Because we need to be able to see color. But at night, you know, as I'm, you know, squarely in middle age and occasionally have to get up and use the facilities in the middle of the night, it takes a minute for my cones to turn on 
because at night you don't see the color, you see the contrast. Okay, color is not as important, and and, and I just think I think that's kind of neat. But it, but all of it needs light. And and years ago, and this is I think we've done this. I think I've, I've experienced this twice in my life, where I was in a cave, a tour of a cave, and they turn off all the lights. Have you have you ever done that? People in the room, some of the people on Zoom. Thumbs up if you've ever been in a cave and then they turn off all the lights. Or wait, okay, yeah. Like it's pitch black. You you have temporary blindness, but the last I checked, your eyes still work. Like your eyes work, but they don't have what they need to operate. And so you can be blind, but your eyes work just fine. You know, you know, your eyes work, right? Uh, Look over at Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4. <clears throat> so all of this is under this, this context. If you have not put those two, four, six, seven things and added them to faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, if you've not put them, you have some spiritual blindness going on. Maybe it's because you're not allowing the light in, right? First or 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 4. Yeah. Doesn't, oh, I'm because I'm not in the right. Uh, yeah, there we go. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, obviously Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest look at this: the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So literally, Satan can blind people by blocking the light of Christ from getting to them. And I think that that's a really interesting concept. I think that's a really interesting spiritual concept and physical concept. It's weird to think when I'm in a cave or maybe you've been in, you know, there, we have a couple of rooms in our basement that if all the lights are off, like in the basement, it's like no lights down there. And you can kind of do one of these. And you, you can't see your hand move in front of your face kind of thing. And maybe I would be like, maybe Michelle would like, sometimes flip the light on and I'll be standing there going like this because I'm doing this and I think it's fun, but, and she'll be, what are you doing? Um, and I'll be like, it's a spiritual illustration. So I'll try to spin it. Right. But it's amazing to me that our eyes can work, but we can be spiritually blinded and that Satan will use that specifically to block the light of the gospel of Christ from entering their eyes. Continue on over into 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John 2, and pick it up in verse 9 through 11. Uh, He saith, um, excuse me, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brothers in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none none, uh, occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So these things that can get between us and Christ, the true light that lights us, whether it's the lost, Satan using a a blinder to keep the gospel from reaching folks, or whether it's something like this, that's some sort of sin condition that's blocking the effectiveness of the light can blind us, can blind us. And so the third third bullet or sub bullet point C, spiritual sight 
is best. Spiritual sight is best. Now, this is, um, I hate to be a spoiler, right? I hate to be a spoiler, but I got to be a spoiler because I feel like it's it's the lesson. So who has seen um, uh, the book of Eli? The book of Eli? Like, if you're going to see the book of Eli and you have not seen it yet, cover your ears. <laughs> Does everybody know it's coming? Because the book of Eli, it's uh, Denzel Washington. It's it's a little gory, but other than that, I think it's a pretty decent movie. And he is carrying a King James Bible from some a post-apocalyptic situation from somewhere conceptually in the Midwest to San Francisco because there's a library forming, and he has to go through the desert or mountains and post-apocalyptic situation, right? But he gets there, and he's lost the Bible, but he gets there, and he has memorized it, um, because you find out at the end of the movie, he's blind. And you just think back to the whole movie about how he navigated all of these things blind, but the premise is that, you know, he had this, the Holy Spirit guiding him. The premise, and, you know, doctrinally, it's all over the place and screwed up, and I can't go too far with the illustration, but it was like he was driven by a purpose that was bigger than himself. And that is literally, that literally happens in our lives. Like, I would rather Mike Renault have missed the stop with the pastors in Boston because of his own vision and find the church, the place where the church is supposed to be meeting. Like, that blindness that happened for just maybe just a moment, maybe it was a, a lack of attention or maybe it was whatever, but that temporary blindness allowed the spirit to lead. And that's a really good place to be. Like that's a really, I want to try to live there where and now, now it can come off as aloof, right? If we're not careful, we can come off as, um, I remember my, my mom's next door neighbor or across the street, rather neighbor across the street. They were, they were friendly, and but that lady was was a, a devout believer, devout believer, and they were going to the independent center, and I never will forget, the lady was driving, and they had a spot they could go into, and mom was like, well, why don't you take that one? She's like, no, I'm, I'm sure there'll be one closer, and as she pulled up, the lady pulled out, and she pulled in, and my mom told me, that lady probably lives like that, just this, now, it's just a parking spot, but it was a moment where it was kind of important to my mom, where... God was like one step ahead of this lady and just preparing her path. And my mom saw that and it was important. And I, I want to be like that where, where people are like, man, they're beyond the, the visual, beyond the physical and God's at work. And, and I pray that for the Boston plant uh, because I feel like God did that in our, our experiences in Missoula where he just went before us and dealt with things. And it doesn't make it perfect. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it stress-free or lack of faith. It actually increases the faith, by the way. But spiritual sight truly is uh, is best. And seeing the unseen is a gift. It, it really is a gift. So, so Revelation 3, 17 and 18, many of you know it. Uh, I actually memorized it at a high school camp um, when I was, I was, I think I was a senior. Um, yeah, maybe... I don't remember, but anyways, junior or senior, but Revelation chapter 3, 17 and 18, certainly relevant, 
um, when he's talking about us in verse 16 being lukewarm, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have needed nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked, that I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with ISAP that thou mayest see. Like, and, and, and it's interesting to me that this comes last because you can see your condition at that point. If you've bought um, uh, gold that you can be rich, if you've bought white raiment that you can be clothed, the vision is now what allows you to spend the spiritual money. It allows you to go into spiritual places clothed um, because if you were rich and had clothes but had no vision, um, you know, that's not sufficient. So spiritual blindness it, it, or spiritual sight is the best. And in 2 Kings, we won't spend a lot of time there, but 2 Kings chapter uh, 6, verses 13 through 20, again, it, we're just going to talk about it. You may remember that there was uh, a young uh, servant of the man of God. He risen early and he went forth and, and he saw that the whole city was compassed with horses and chariots. And I'm just reading uh, snippets from it. And his servant said unto him, Alas, master, how shall we do seeing this? And, and Elijah, Elisha says, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And it's interesting in verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. He had already visually, physically looked around and saw the enemy. But Elisha prays that he opens up, that he can open up his eyes. And then it continues and says, The Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So when he first looks, he sees the enemy, uh, you know, horses and chariots. But then when he actually sees the spiritual battle, wow, then he sees chariots and horses and chariots of fire. This is a supernatural event, and he realizes, hey, we don't have anything to be to be weary of. So this brings us to our second point, spiritual nearsightedness, right? Blindness uh, is different than nearsightedness, clearly. Uh, nearsightedness is the inability to see afar off. Um, you know, my, my parents had a, had a sign business. Uh, my parents and brother had a sign business. And the bigger the sign, the, the, the bigger the error could be in making the sign. So if you were making a sign that was two foot wide and you were off center of that sign, if the lettering was off a quarter of an inch, it was noticeable. But if you were making a 20 foot sign that had multiple sections and you were off a quarter of an inch and the joke they had was, you won't see it for my 70 because sometimes they would do these signs that were really big and set back off the road or whatever. Like the bigger the sign the, the bigger the error that could be. And the reason I bring this up is because that ability to see far off negates a lot of the, the minutiae in our lives, right? Like the ability to know that God's got you guys and he's going to either provide a job or provide direction or something like really takes the minutiae out of it. Like all you have to do is trust the Lord. You don't have to worry about each detail. And so this inability to see afar off is a problem. And that's why I drew this 
the more we get down this path of the barren and corrupt, the farther and harder it is to see over to the fruitful side. And we start distancing ourselves from brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's harder to see. We don't see. We can only see what's in front of us. And everything's a big stinking deal right in front of us because we've lost the, the big picture. You know, in, Je- in Genesis 13, these aren't on your, on your page, but in Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15, God takes Abraham up to a mountain to show her mount, to show him the land, right? And in Deuteronomy 32, 49, God takes Moses up to show him the land ultimately because he can't go in. But could you imagine that, like, almost Mel Brooks kind of moment there? Uh, some of you may know, like, History of the World and some of those other kind of Mel Brooks humor where God brings them up and says, look. And they're like, what? I can't, what, what, you know, what? I don't see anything. I mean, it's almost, it's almost ridiculous, right? Because you have to be able to see afar off. Could you imagine not going up to a mountaintop and only going, wow, what? I got something on the back of my hand. And people were like, but look at no, but look at but I got stuff on my shoes. Like the inability to see far off is a problem. It's a matter of perspective. And if you look at um, Job 36, um, I'm, again, we're running a little behind, so I'm going to just read it. Job 36, 24, 25. Remember that thou magnified his work. Actually, turn there. This one's worth it. This one's definitely worth it. I was thinking there's a different verse, but this is definitely Uh, you know, there's while you're turning there, there's this illustration, uh, and maybe you've heard it in different different ways, that the inability to see perspective, the inability to see quote afar off, is is a problem for people. If you put if you put five people in an, a room with an elephant and they don't have a matter of perspective, one will describe the elephant as a tree trunk, right, a leg, or one will describe it as furry because they might feel the tip of its tail, and another one might find it. Um, soft because of its big ears, but another one might think it's like a snake uh, because of its uh, of its trunk. But it's not until you step back and you take in the totality of the picture that that you can get perspective. And and in Job um, thirty six, specifically in twenty four twenty five, and they thought it was, was a couple pages off. Remember that thou magnify his work, which men behold. Every man may see it. Man may behold it afar off. Literally, we should be in a position where our lives, men that are afar off from us say, God's at work in that that person's life. They're not doing that. They're not manipulating that. God's at work there. And and I, I put the reference here. It's not maybe practically the application is limited, but in Matthew 26, and I just think this is really interesting, that Peter, in Second Peter, says that it's important to see afar off, that you, that you need perspective, because in Matthew 26, 58, Peter followed Jesus afar off under the high priest's place and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. And it's just interesting to me that Peter realizes the value of perspective, in this case, the distance was a problem, so that was a, a bonus uh, for no, for no. Just, just I thought it was very interesting, and I needed to include it. So that brings us to our third point: third point, spiritual amnesia. Um, 
you forget, literally, you forget or you remember not the cleansing that took place, right? In verse first, Second Peter 1, 9, it says, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So this person that gets farther away from being fruitful starts to forget because the corruption that is building up on them, like barnacles on a, on a seawall or on a boat, they forget their purpose. They forget, and the next thing you know, they have total spiritual amnesia about what God, um, you know, did with them. Uh, Judges eight thirty four. It says the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God. Psalm seventy eight forty two. They remembered not His hand, nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. Psalm one hundred six seven. Our fathers understood not the wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of Thy mercies but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. So I don't remember who first, who I, the first person I've heard this message, unfortunately, I guess I'll say unfortunately taught a few different folks, uh, by a few different ways from a few different folks. So I don't know who gets credit for developing the message, but it was the three chairs. Has anybody seen the three chairs message? It's really powerful and I don't have time to, to, to give it justice, but there's three chairs in the spiritual walk. And the first chair is the, the one that encounters God directly, and and uh, I, I thought it was Trotter that maybe did the, the first the first time I saw this the the three chairs, but I, I could be wrong. And the first chair was the person who sees God directly work. The second chair was the children or the fruit of the person that had that interaction with God. And if they only see it through the through the eyes of their actual parents or through the eyes of their discipler, or the, through the eyes of their pastor, the one who has a relationship with God, the third chair will never, their offspring, whether physical or spiritual, will not engage God the same way. They don't, they will literally forget because they've never had that physical, that physical or, or actual interaction with God. So the, the premise of the, the, the message was that it's okay to be in the second chair as a disciple. Or it's maybe even okay to be in the third chair as a really new disciple, but you got to keep moving to this chair. You got to get to this point where you interact with God directly so that you won't forget, because you will never forget what He did in your life. You might forget what He did in other people's lives. Probably will forget what He did in other people's lives. And it's, so the last point here, the, the sub point B, this cleansing. In 1 Peter 1 9, it says he had and had forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. It's interesting that Hebrew, or I'm sorry, yeah, the uh, Greek word in this case for purge means a cleansing. And it means a cleansing by scouring or rubbing. And it's very interesting that, 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 that's, the, that that's the depth of, of this word. I think sometimes we just think that we were purged from our old sins. But the, the, in this case, the cleansing, the scouring, it took work. It took the work of the cross. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and so in 2 Peter, hopefully you're there. We've got a couple of references in 2 Peter, and then we'll be done. Um, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 and, um, in verse 4, right? We, we, were, we actually looked at that a couple weeks ago. 2 Peter 1 and verse 4 specifically says whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped literally means purge or cleanse 
from the corruption that is in the world through lust. It's literally the same word. So the King James translators in verse 4 posture it as escape the corruption. In verse 9, posture it as purge, but it could also be posture as cleanse. Look in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. It says, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped, same word, from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, for whom a man is overcome, the same uh, is, he bought, is he brought in bondage. Forever after they have escaped the pollutions of the word, world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So literally, this concept of being purged, being scoured, if you will, being purged or cleansed from our sins is really important. And I would be willing to bet if you had a had a situation, so I, I default a lot to medical, um, so somebody that maybe is is burned or maybe a road uh, rash from a motorcycle accident, I've had the opportunity to see some of those folks, and they literally have to tear the skin apart to get the infection out. person's not going to forget that. They're never going to forget that. They may never forget the pain associated with it. And we have this opportunity to keep perspective, be on the right road and keep perspective. Right? If we end up on this wrong road, we're not going to keep perspective. We're going to be spiritually blind. We're not going to have any uh, perspective of, of distance or the big picture. And we're going to forget that we were purged, that we were cleansed. And, and Peter is laying out a really, I think, a pretty, I know Paul is kind of the, the legal mind in the New Testament. But Peter is laying out a very practical um, uh, application, a very practical explanation of the, what happened at salvation and what our expectation is uh, as a believer to add these things in. And I think the timeliness, it's really important. If we can add virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity to our current situation, we will not forget. We will keep things in perspective. We will have, um, we won't have uh, spiritual amnesia, and we certainly won't be blind. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the day. We just ask that you, uh, Lord, be with us uh, as we go, whether it, for, for folks that maybe have already come to service and will be going on. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for their journeys. For those of us who will be going to service, I pray that you continue to speak to us. For those, um, you know, on Zoom, maybe they're probably already seen uh, service online. I just pray for, for their day as it, as it continues. Lord, help us to take these things and apply them to our life because it is right there in front of us. We need to add these things. Peter made it abundantly clear that we need to do that. So the work of Christ is finished. We will spend eternity in heaven. That's the basis of the faith. But to operate effectively here on the earth, to be fruitful, to not be barren, to have perspective, not be blind, not be spiritually uh, nearsighted, and not, not forget, Lord, we need to add these things to our life. Help us to do that in a wise way, uh, not in a, in a prideful way, but in a very humble way. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.
I always feel weird about closing it out. It's good to see Doug. I haven't seen your face in a long time, so it's really good to see Doug. Oh, look at the heart that Rhonda made. Isn't that nice? Uh, big thumb up. A huge thumb up from Shane. That gives us just perspective. Uh, G-Sung, it's good to see you. Ryan's, are you... Okay, I wasn't sure if you were frozen. It looked that you were t perfectly still for a second. Christy, good to see you. Give Tim our love uh, and, and have your little ones for us. So um, take care. Have a good day. Bye. So, did you say you're.